Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 2, Term 4. This is Lesson 31. We are going to begin a new chapter. We're looking at Firsts in Jesus' Ministry, Part 2. And uh, today we're going to be looking at John Chapter 3. And there are some very exciting things here and some very important things in this particular chapter. Needless to say, this is the encounter with Nicodemus, the first part of this chapter. To introduce John chapter 3, Leon Morris writes, Right from the opening verse of this gospel, John has been concerned to impress on his readers the surpassing excellence of Jesus. He is the Word become flesh. And he came specifically in order that people might have the abundant life that is brought out in John 10.10. And to help us transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3, William Hendrickson says again that it was not necessary for Jesus to listen to testimony concerning any particular person, for his own penetrating eyes were able to look into the very depths of that person's heart. Take as an example Nicodemus. So, chapter 3 relates the story of Christ's conversation with this Jewish leader. Hence, Though chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, in a sense is a continuation of the preceding paragraph, yet the chapter division might have been made after verse 22. This becomes evident when the last verse of chapter 2 and the first verse of chapter 3 are read together. Thus, he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This is going to be a key thing that keeps coming up over and over again. That Jesus knew the hearts of people. Jesus knew all men, also all women. Okay, remember the woman at the well. All right? And it is going to be something that if we don't understand, we're going to not get what happens later on in the Gospels. There are going to be instances where there will be somebody standing there and it will say, and Jesus answered and said... When there was no question posed. The reason is, he knew what they were thinking. And he answers what they're thinking out loud. Do you understand? Yeah, okay. Because he knew, again we come back to this, alright, that he didn't need for anybody to tell him what was in man, because he knew what was in there. And so, we are going to see this coming up over and over again. And I don't want you to miss it. When he's in the middle of something, and suddenly he says, and he answered, Jesus answered and said to them. And you think, where was the question? Okay? <laughs> I want you to get this. Alright. Now, let's begin in John chapter 3. And let's read from there. So, beginning in verse 1, in John chapter 3, it says again, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, though we know nothing about Nicodemus or his family background, we do know that he belonged to the party of the Pharisees, which originated during the period preceding the Maccabean Wars, of whom men of high renown, such as Gamaliel, Paul, and Josephus, also belonged. And as much as they were right on many points of doctrine, such as moral accountability, the resurrection of the body, the existence of spirit, and being judged in the afterlife, tragically, they made one basic error. They externalized religion. Alright, do you understand what externalized religion means? Alright, they started talking about how you dress and washing this and everything is clean on the outside. 
And Jesus is going to look at them and criticize them for doing everything right on the outside, but on the inside, everything was wrong. And, you know, let me spend a minute here on this, because this is kind of where some churches go. And it's all about looking right and doing what's right. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, we need to do what's right. But we need to do it because it's coming from the inside, not because we're trying to impress people. Do you understand? This is going to be a key thing later on as well, where Jesus is going to bring out, when we get to John chapter 5, a very interesting chapter, where Jesus is going to talk to the Pharisees and and the Jewish leaders. We don't know exactly who he's talking to sometimes, because John just lumps everybody as Jews. I think he had a problem with the Jews, <laughs> okay? And instead, instead of sort of saying, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, just the Jews came and criticized him. Or the Jews were that day saying this or that or whatever. Do you understand? Okay, so with him, it was all the Jews, you know? They just have not in their knickers. So he, he, he would keep referring back to them. So we don't know kind of which Jew... That was, whether it was a Pharisee Jew, a Sadducee Jew, a scribe Jew, you know, we, we just don't know. But he talks to them and he, he makes reference and he sort of says to them, his whole argument at one point is, you people focus too much on outward things. Alright, and he's going to say, you know, you are asking for outward things in order to substantiate something that God is doing inwardly. And there are some things, you know, people used to ask me, and, and we'll deal with some of these things later as well, saying, you know, what gives you the right to get up and preach? You know, you want to ask them what gives you the right to ask that question? No. <laughs> but, you know, seriously, I mean, who are they to ask the question? The, the thing is, a lot of times they, they are looking for what governing body has ordained you to do this. When at the end of the day, it's who God ordains, those are the ones you want to listen to, not the people that men are ordaining. Do you hear what I'm saying? In fact, our ordination has nothing to do with, oh, we give you the right to do this. Now, our ordination is all about, we recognize that this gift is on your life. That's all. Do you understand? So if there's a gift in your life, our ordination simply recognizes you and says, hey, we recognize this. And the ordination is all about recognition, not about us giving you something now, being the hierarchy and being some kind of a, a body that everybody looks and says, oh yeah, that's a respected body. And if they, if they said that this person is ready to preach what they're ready to preach, it's not a job, it's a calling. Amen? And so it's all about an inner witness. But with these people, it's all about outward things. Are you getting this now? And so what happens when you focus everything on the outside? You start to miss out on everything God is saying. Because He's speaking spiritually. And so now Nicodemus is going to run into a problem. He's so used to the outward things of the law and discussing points of law. And now Jesus is going to come and tip his boat. He's not going to find any of what Jesus is talking about in the law, so to speak. It's there, but they missed that because it was a spiritual concept. And we'll see that. It was actually in the Old Testament. Which is why Jesus gets upset with him and goes, what are you discussing anyway? Do you know you can waste your time discussing stuff? And we need to be careful we don't do that. There's a lot of people out there that does stuff, and you know, just let's not get into that boat. Okay, let's get back to this. All right, R. Kent Hughes writes, One of the primary characteristics of the Pharisees was their seriousness. 
They were so earnest about their faith that on the Sabbath, they would carry no more food than the weight of a dried fig or no more milk than could be swallowed at one gulp, lest they break the Sabbath rest. Do you understand? Because drinking is an effort, you understand? Okay, all right. And carrying anything is an effort as if it's too heavy. If you're sweating, that's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I told you, remember again. The only thing that the Sabbath actually prohibited was working for profit. And they said, please don't do that. Have one day off. Okay? <laughs> All right. Anyway, they were, they were serious about their faith. Of course, that got them into some rather ridiculous situations. For instance, it was determined that on the Sabbath, one could not tie a knot in a rope. Can you believe this? Okay? But a woman could tie a knot in her sash. So, if a man wanted to get water out of a well, and there was nothing tied to the bucket, he would tie his wife's sash to the bucket. Because you can tie a sash, see? But you can't tie a rope. And that's why <laughs> he would say, it's ridiculous, yes, but desperately fervent. And God wasn't happy with any of this, needless to say. In fact, as William Hendrickson points out, outward conformity to the law was far too often considered by them to be the goal of one's existence. Did you get that? Okay, outward conformity was their goal. And to this salvation by works party, Nicodemus belonged. He occupied a very prominent position, being a ruler of the Jews, indicating that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, a group of 70 men who had jurisdiction over every Jew on earth says Hughes, and also a scribe, a professional student, interpreter, and teacher of the law. In short, Nicodemus was a very intelligent and highly accomplished individual. Let me just stop here for one second and give you the other side of all of this as well, because I don't want you to be thinking, oh my gosh, does that mean that we just live a lawless life? That's not what this means. Okay, This isn't about living a lawless life. This isn't about, oh, we can do whatever we want because we're in grace. You know, there are people that say that as well. But can I just say this to you? Remember, this is about what's on the inside. So let me say this to you. If you know on the inside something is wrong, and you do it, but there's nobody to see what you're doing, because, you know, outward religion is all about doing the right thing for people to see you doing the right thing. Do you get this now? Where is being led by the Spirit and, and the right way of doing things is to do when nobody's looking, do the right thing. So what Jesus is saying is what you people are doing is thinking about what do we do when everybody's looking. That's the outward religion. Not about what do we do when God is watching. That's all the time. That's why they were hypocrites. Because while people are watching, they're doing the right thing. But when nobody's looking, wow. Okay? Are you getting this now? So it is about having a right conscience before God. About saying, and see, this is when if somebody, you know, accuses you of doing something wrong or whatever, you know, if your heart was right and you did something and it was a mistake, then God will vindicate you. Even though people might say, oh, you did this and everything else. It's like, I honestly didn't know. Okay? See, that's different to somebody that 
Oh, when everybody's watching, they do all the right thing. And yeah, of course, he's my best friend. And yeah, I would never say a crossword against him and everything else. And then when nobody's looking, oh, I hate that guy. Oh, he drops and drowns, you know, and dies and gets run over by a bus. And be back again. Oh, yeah, no, I love everybody. Uh-huh. Hypocrite. That's what Jesus would say. And people would go, why do you say that, Jesus? He's always so lovely. All right. Also of interest is the fact that as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have had no vested interest in the temple, which was the domain of the Sadducees. Now this is important because the previous chapter just talked about Jesus clearing out the temple. Okay, so, okay. The, they knew that the temple whole system was corrupt. That was not a secret. Do you understand? Alright, you know, within the halls of religious leadership, people know what's going on. The common one, people may not understand what's happening necessarily, except when they get ripped off. Okay, alright, do you understand? Okay, but you, you know, you still don't know what all the, how far up it goes, and you kind of don't know, you know, who's really involved, and do you, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, so you kind of don't know where all it goes, and okay, but I tell you, within the groups, everybody knows what's going on. So, you cannot just understand now, in the sequence of events, Jesus cleared out the temple. And now comes Nicodemus. He's like, ooh, somebody finally did what we all know needed to be done. Okay, so you need to see that in the light of what's going on as well. Alright, therefore when the news about the cleansing of the temple reached his ears, which all the Pharisees knew was corrupt to the core, headed by Annas the high priest himself, it would have brought him great delight and may, in fact, be one of the signs he referred to in the next verse. It may also be why he eventually came to believe in Jesus. Now that's found in John chapter 7 and verses 50 through 52. If you look at the bottom of your notes, I have actually given you those scriptures. And this also may be the reason why he risked his own life and reputation by helping to give Jesus' body a decent burial. That's brought out in John chapter 19, verses 38 to 39, also in your footnotes. All right, we'll look at all of that when we get to them. But at this time, he was meeting Jesus for the first time. And so it says in John chapter 3 uh, and the first part of verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. Now there are several reasons why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. First, because Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, he may have thought it best not to be seen in public with Jesus yet, lest he be criticized for by the other members of the Sanhedrin, which included a number of Sadducees whose temple was just cleansed. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Do you understand? So it's not a good political move to be seen with Jesus right now, out in the open. Second, from John 20, verse 30, and John 21, verse 25, we know that Jesus would have been very busy during the day, involved in various kinds of ministry, and so it would be mainly at night that you could, as Hendrickson puts it, converse at leisure. Okay, now those verses talk about, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Alright, so in, in short, he had a busy life. 
Can we say amen to that? Okay, so it might have been that, and, and you know, I can understand that if Nicodemus thought, okay, I'm busy during the day, he's busy during the day, because remember, Nicodemus is working as well, okay? Uh, he probably thought this is the time to go and meet him, just sit down, relax, and we can chat. Okay, so there's that as well. Added to this, and to give a different perspective on what the Apostle John may have been trying to convey to us, D.A. Carson says that a clue lies in John's use of night elsewhere. In each instance, the word is either used metaphorically for a moral and spiritual darkness, or if it refers to the nighttime hours, it bears the same moral and spiritual symbolism. All right? Doubtless Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, but his own night was blacker than he knew. In other words, there was darkness in him as well that he didn't even realize existed. So, returning to John 3 and verse 2, it says there again, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, evidently Nicodemus is associated with others who believe like him, and therefore feels that he can speak for them. And so he says, "All right, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do, Unless God is with him. Now we have discussed this over and over again. But it is important to just make note of it now. Notice again the reason why Nicodemus has come to believe in Jesus. Because of the signs. Okay, Remember again we were talking about these signs will follow those who believe. In my name Jesus said dot dot dot. Okay, All those things. And signs are to follow. And notice that this was one of the strongest points of evangelism in Jesus' life. And we can't take that away. We need to understand as wonderful as all the knowledge that we gain is. And that's important for us. Can I just say this? The knowledge that you gain, as much as it can help you in arguments and points of contention and when people are asking you questions and so on and so forth, as, as wonderful as that is, and that's a reason it's there for you, okay? So that you can answer all men. Do you understand? The Apostle, I think Peter talks about that, that we need to have a ready answer, a ready defense for anyone that asks us whatever questions, okay? And, and we can only do that if we sh- you know, study to show ourselves approved, Second Timothy, remember that scripture, okay? So we are to do that. We are meant to study the word, we are meant to know the Bible inside and out, but also, it's not just so we can answer people, listen to me carefully, it is so that we can unlock what is on the inside, We are not meant to be just walking encyclopedias. We are meant to be vessels of power. It's not enough to know the answer. We need to demonstrate. Amen? It's not enough to say, okay, we understand your problem, and we are exceedingly sorry, and and empathize or sympathize, whatever. But you need to be able to lay hands on the sick. You need to be able to speak a word. You need to be able to pray over something and bring it down. Are you all here? Okay. But we can't do that if all we're doing is taking in knowledge so we can answer people, not bring ourselves to a place, not so that we can grow and become all that God called us to be. Amen? That is your first priority. Grow. The fringe benefit should be you can answer anybody. (laughs) Okay? But at the end of the day, the word is given for you. To grow up and to be the mature sons and daughters of God. To be Christ in this earth. 
Amen? Amen? Let's move on. In other words, Nicodemus was convinced that Jesus must be close to God in order to be able to do these signs, which we must assume would have been a significant number, besides cleansing the temple, to have caught the attention of this ruler of the Jews. But as D.A. Carson points out, Nicodemus does not suggest Jesus is a prophet or the Messiah, but simply a teacher mightily endowed with God's power. And even though Nicodemus was openly curious about Jesus, he still fell a long way short of confession that he was uniquely the promised coming one. Okay, so he isn't there yet. Alright. And so though Nicodemus comes to Jesus as one teacher to another to discuss matters of mutual interest, what follows next takes him completely by surprise as Jesus decides to present him with yet another sign. This time by reading his innermost thoughts, and even before he could ask his question, remember again, we, 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 we said that we needed to read the last verse of John chapter 2 along with the first verse of John chapter 3. Alright, that he didn't have any need for anyone to tell him what was in men. He knew. Okay? So watch this. This is why I said you're going to find this phrase happening every so often. And it says here, before he could answer the que- ask his question... It says in John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him. Uh, Jesus, he didn't ask a question yet. <laughs> okay? No, Jesus is reading his thoughts now. Alright, soon as he comes. Now see, all they have said up to now is who Nicodemus was and what time of the day he came to see Jesus. Okay? So I want you to get a picture here. Jesus is sitting, standing, whatever, I don't know. Let's say he's sitting, okay? Jesus is sitting, and Nicodemus comes up. Jesus knows who he is, by the way. All right? Remember, remember Peter? He says, you are so-and-so, son of this person. He just knew everything. Okay? And uh, so he looks at him. He knows who this is. He knows what question is on his heart. And before, you can see Nicodemus is coming and he's going, okay, I don't know how to start this conversation, and I don't know how to ask him this question. This is the question I need to ask him. Before he could do that, Jesus answers. That's a sign. See, we miss some of the signs. Just as much as he can lay hands on the sick and watch him recover. And that's a sign. Before you ask the question, when Jesus answered your question, that's a sign. Amen? Are you with me? Okay? All right. (laughs) And it just says here, okay... Jesus answered and said to him, all right, this is using, now, what he's going to do is use what they call another mashal, or a paradoxical saying, okay, in the form of a riddle. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, remember, Nicodemus hasn't said anything to him yet. Are you all with me? Okay, he hasn't said anything to him. He's looking at him, he comes up, and he says, most assuredly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? I can just see Nicodemus about to sit and go, Say what? Can we repeat that please? And you know he's going to have to repeat it. Because he's not going to get it. This must have literally shocked and amazed Nicodemus. Because not only did Jesus read his mind and discern his innermost thoughts. But the answer he gives is not at all what Nicodemus expected. Here he is. He's coming. And this is a ruler of the Jews. And instead of paying him a compliment and saying, Nicodemus, I know who you are, man. 
Come sit with me. Let's chat for a minute. No. He, first sentence that comes out of his mouth. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. D.A. Carson explains, Predominant religious thought in Jesus' day affirmed that all Jews would be admitted to the kingdom apart from those guilty of deliberate apostasy or extraordinary wickedness. Did you get all of that? Okay, everybody, all the Jews are going to be let in. That's, that's their thought. Okay, so you see now where Jesus is coming from. He's going, the thing in your head, it's just like that rich young ruler, remember? He says, I've done all these things. Okay, so Nicodemus is, we can assume, and let's make a little assumption, okay, excuse me, I caught myself, alright, let's make a little assumption that that's what foremost in Nicodemus' mind. Okay, he's done everything right, Jesus has cleansed the temple, and so Jesus knows what's going on, and Nicodemus is saying, check me out. Okay, I'm I'm not one of those two-faced, hypocritical Jews. Okay? So he's coming and, you know, he's about to... And you know what? Jesus has done him the greatest favor. He has looked right past all of that and saying, Nicodemus, you're putting your faith in everything you are doing. What you need to do is put your faith in God and a new birth that is soon coming that's going to override all of that stuff. So when you mess up, it won't matter. Hallelujah. Let's get back to this, alright? So again, predominant religious thought in Jesus' day affirmed that all Jews would be admitted to the kingdom apart from those guilty of deliberate apostasy or extraordinary wickedness. But here was Jesus telling Nicodemus, a respected and conscientious member, not only of Israel, but of the Sanhedrin, that he cannot enter the kingdom unless he is born again. In other words, as William Hendrickson puts it, it is necessary that a person be born from above that the Spirit must implant in his heart the life that has its origin, not on earth, but in heaven. Amen. And that would have astonished and confused this Pharisee to the very core. Because, as Leon Morris explains, for the loyal Pharisee, careful observance of the law and the tradition of the elders was the way of salvation. Do you get that? All right, that was that. As far as they were concerned, they're going to heaven because of keeping all the law, doing all the right things. Okay. And John uses this uh, conversation to show that all such views are wide off the mark. Not a devout regard for the law, not even a revised presentation of Judaism is required, but a radical rebirth. And why the demand is repeated three times in verses 3, 5, and 7. Okay, because it wasn't something that was sinking in. And you can understand why. I can understand, man. I mean, you know, if this is how you've lived your life, and somebody comes and says something that you have never heard before, you know, it just dazes you out. You're just going, say, what? You don't, you know, like what we say today, we just wouldn't have a handle on it. There would be nowhere to kind of go, okay, I don't, I don't have a grip on this. It's just... What are you talking about? Amen? Okay. Let me just stop here also for a, for a second. There's something very important that is brought out here. And again, I don't want to rush through this because there are some things in here that, that relate to us directly. Okay? All right. Notice something that Morris says here. I think is very good. 
Careful observance of the law and the tradition of elders was the way of salvation, as far as this Pharisee was concerned. All right? And he says that John uses this conversation to show that all such views, all such views are wide off the mark. Okay? What we need to understand from this is that it isn't about how well somebody does. You know, today people say, well, I'm going to heaven. I don't need Jesus. You know why? Because I'm a good person. And so their main reason for not needing you to go on about Jesus and get all religious on them is because, no, 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 you know, they're doing the right thing and they know that they'll go to heaven because they're doing the right thing. And it's very hard to minister to people that are like that. Have you noticed? Because they don't need it. As far as they're concerned, I don't need it. I'm a good person. Go find somebody who needs it. Talk to them. Is usually their comment to you. I don't know if you've been here longer than two minutes. You run into one of those. You know, if you ever try to, to, to minister to somebody. That's where you need to know this. That's the reason why I'm spending some time on it. Okay? Just say, what you need to say to people. See, see, you know what the other side of that is? Is that, oh, you Christians think you never do anything wrong. That's the other side. Okay? You're coming to tell us, you know, what we're doing wrong, trying to get us saved. Look at yourself. Again, we come back to works. Do you understand? It works one side or the other. And you need to identify this and understand, hey man, it's not about me being perfect because I am not. I want to be, but I ain't. Okay? You think you are, but you're not. Both of us need the same thing. We both need God's forgiveness. Okay, me, once I'm saved, I still need God's forgiveness. Because I'll still make mistakes. And when me asking you to become a Christian or to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, isn't me asking you to be perfect, because I know you can't do that. So I'm not even going to go there with, with that. This is about something spiritual. This is about something on the inside. This is about you gaining access to heaven because of what happens inside. Because nothing unclean will be allowed in heaven. So what the miracle that God does is He gives you a new spirit. We're going to see that in a minute in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, And because of that rebirth, because of that new birth, that is what allows you to go to heaven. Not all your good works. Does that mean I can do everything wrong after that? Well, you know, don't do that either. Okay, you're going to go to heaven, but you know, Jesus is not going to be happy when you get there. <laughs> okay? And besides that, a miracle happens on the inside when you receive the new birth. It's like this guy, you know, <laughs> came up to the preacher. He was, he was getting people saved. And, you know, he comes up to the preacher and he says, Hey, preacher. He goes, Yeah, what? He says, I, I want to get saved, but I want to keep dancing. You know, it wasn't the nice kind of dancing, you know. And, and he said, Can I get saved and, and keep dancing? And the preacher said, Absolutely. And so he goes, fine, then I'll get saved. Comes back about two weeks later and he goes, I have a bone to pick with you. He said, what? You never told me after I got saved I wouldn't want to dance anymore. <laughs> we understand bad dancing. Okay, not all dancing is good. Okay, because the Bible talks about dancing before the Lord. All right? <laughs> okay? But you know what? That's what happens. So don't tell them that stuff. <laughs> they find out themselves. Yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Just come get saved for us. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's get back to this. Oh, we, we're running over time now. All right. 
Morris goes on to conclude by saying, in one sentence, Jesus sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for and demands that he be remade by the power of God. Therefore, in its own way, this chapter does away with works of the law every bit as thoroughly as anything in Paul and his writings. Amen? And we're going to look next when we come back, the reason for this radical birth. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses Excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. All right, take a break, and we'll come back and continue on from there.